This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles curbside pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles on the Beat. As usual, another great show for you. As usual, another great guest on tap, Chris Lowe of ESPN, scheduled to join me. Looking forward to talking to Chris. Go way back with Chris Lowe, and uh, he will be the guest in segment two, scheduled to be the guest in segment two. We always have to say, is expected to. Did you ever wonder why when you read stories, someone will say so-and-so is expected to? Well, Caleb Downs is the answer for why you say is expected to. And I start out not to pick the scab, but to kind of put the finishing touch and add some perspective on it. If you haven't read my column yet on dognation.com, it's called the Dooley Effect, or excuse me, the Dooley Code. And I kind of came up with that when I was going through, you know, the Facebook pages and the Twitter X, and I was seeing some really angry people, and they were coming up with all these reasons why this player may not have chosen Georgia. And I kind of just thought, no, wait a minute. You don't know that. You shouldn't suppose that. You shouldn't think that. You know, everybody's kind of losing their junk over this. And I thought, you know, that's not that's not what I equate to Georgia. And granted, I come from an innocent age of newspaper back in the 90s when I covered Alabama and Auburn and into the 2000s when I covered Tennessee. And when I came to Sanford Stadium, I came with the other team. And so I saw Georgia fans from the other side. And I always just thought, man, what a, what a classy, dignified fan base. You know, you'd go to the game and it seemed like everyone was just, you know, dressed so nice and everybody was just so happy. And um, fans never really seemed that crazy to me. And all the dealings that I had with Georgia were a lot of them were through the PR guy, Claude Felton. You've heard me talk a lot about him because he's kind of been the front man. He's the guy that everybody relates to when they come in from outside and he's just the best at what he does. And then what we would see, and even going back further to my childhood when I would watch George on TV, you would see Vince Dooley. And Coach Dooley just had so much class and so much dignity. And you think about how he dressed and how he acted and how he spoke. And there was just a certain air about Georgia. And I thought that Ray Goff continued that. And I know that the teams weren't fantastic. He had some tough injuries. Coach Goff did recruit Will Muschamp and Kirby Smart. Don't know where you'd be without those guys. Coach Goff was an SEC player of the year uh, and did win an SEC championship as a quarterback. But uh, And then Coach Donnan was here for a bit. Uh, and then Mark Rick came in. And, and Mark Rick is just a prince of a guy. I mean, I, I would put Mark Rick up there with Bobby Bowden at the most universally beloved coaches uh, maybe in history. And, and, and Vince Dooley as well. And so even Kirby, even though Kirby's a little chippy and ornery because he's always so hungry to win, he's always polite to the other team. He never really dog cusses the other team. Even when he's upset, um, you can kind of tell, but he does it in a way where he says nice things with a grimace or the nice things maybe aren't as nice as other teams will say. But but the point is, is that there's still a lot of class at Georgia. And the reason I bring all that up is because when fans go off on social media. And again, we're only talking about 10%. Every fan base has that 10%, right? The old saying, at least what I tell myself, because I, I do a lot of stuff that draws reaction. And there's 10% of the people that are always going to love me, love you, keep writing emails, send those emails, appreciate it. Then there's the 10% that are always going to hate you. You know who you are. 
Doesn't matter what I say. And then there's 80% in between. They're like, you know what? Sometimes I agree with you. Sometimes I don't agree with you. But I appreciate you telling me like it is, right? So I'm telling you like it is tonight. When you make anonymous attacks on people's character, that's not good, okay? I use the word cowardly um, because I think it's bad. I think it's one of the worst things that's happened with social media is the anonymity that empowers people to write things that they would never say in person about people that they've never met. And like, I don't think it's funny when people put the fake headlines on Facebook and, and, and say the mean stuff. I, I think that's terrible. Like, that's a bad sense of humor. It's like eighth grade humor. It's like, no, don't do that. If, if there's any doubt in your mind, if you should push the button, don't push the button. That's what I've learned. As someone that, that's on social media professionally, um, if I ever have a doubt, I was, no, leave it out. If you have a doubt, leave it out. And, and I say that because we're in a new era of college football. It's not an amateur sport anymore. These families are making business decisions now. Okay. This isn't about loyalty or patronage or that's my favorite team. It's a business decision. And Georgia has a fantastic program and, and all sorts of reasons why the number one recruiting class signed on with Kirby Smart. But it really, it, it's not for everyone. I'll give you an example. When I joined the military way, way back when, I wanted to go somewhere else. If there was a base near my high school, I wouldn't have wanted to stay in state. I wanted to see the world. I wanted to get out there. I wanted to, to go somewhere. Sometimes that's what kids want. Maybe that's what happened with Caleb Downs. You know, he was just kind of far enough away at Alabama, and now he's up at all. Maybe he just didn't want to be right in his backyard all of his friends still around. Hey, can you get me tickets? Let's hang out. Potential distractions. I mean, that happens to these guys. And, and I think that's why some of the top players in Georgia leave the state because they don't want those distractions. They recognize, hey, I need to get away. And, and I think conversely, that's why Georgia can draw guys from other states. Now, there's some guys that want to stay in state. You know, they've got their support network, their family around them that are right there. Um, Trevor ETNs at Georgia because it's in the same region. His mom wanted him close to Jacksonville. That worked in Georgia's favor. He wanted to be here. That fantastic recruit from Florida, which, by the way, these transfer ratings came out, and ETN was number 12. I think he's top five. I think this guy is phenomenal. I cannot wait to see Trevor ETN in a Georgia uniform. I think he's going to have multiple 100-yard games. I'm envisioning DeAndre Swift. And that's, that's setting the bar very high because DeAndre was one of those guys that absolutely thrilled me and excited me. Every time he touched the ball, I felt like Swift was a threat to go the distance, the way he cut. And, and when I talked about short yardage struggles, he looked me in the eye and said, okay. And then the next game, he ran over everybody and made every third and fourth down conversion run. And I was like, all right, challenging Swift. Swift's like, all right, I can do that. Um, and I think ETN's going to be that guy. He's got to get better in pass protection. He's got to finish runs better. That'll happen. He'll he'll bow up. He'll 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 get all Georgia'd up. He'll get all Kirby'd up. Um, Kirby will put him through the ropes in a couple of those practices over the loudspeaker and in ETN. But but my point is, there's so many great players on the Georgia team. Last week, Georgia had three players make freshman All-American. The only two schools made that Football Writers of America All-American team. Only two schools had three, Clemson and Georgia, C.J. Allen, Peyton Woodring, Ernest Green. 
That was fantastic news, but nobody's talking about that. I look on the internet, I look on Twitter and X, and I look on Facebook, and there's no threads on that. People are whining and moaning and complaining about a guy that you never had. I mean, come on, get a grip. You know, show that Georgia class, celebrate what you have. Stop worrying about the guys that get away. There's going to be guys, top guys, that aren't going to come to Georgia. It's just the way it is. But Kirby's got the number one class and is a preseason number one and goes into next season with, what, 25-game home win streak and 27 straight SEC wins, just stupid streaks all over the place. So when I see Georgia fans come unglued, I want to reach out and kind of tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, take a deep breath, man. This You're at the zenith. You're at the top of the world. Don't show that attitude. Don't be ugly about it. Show class. Hey, if Caleb Down wants to go to Ohio State, cool. Good for him, his family, his decision. Don't make excuses. Oh, they must have paid him more. They didn't want to. No, don't make excuses. Just stop it. There's good people at Ohio State. You know who I'm rooting for right now? C.J. Stroud. You know, when I interviewed C.J. Stroud last year, I felt so bad when I read that guy's story. Read C.J. Stroud's backstory. Google him. Georgia recruited this kid. Google C.J. Stroud's backstory and see what he went through in his youth. And he left it all on the field at Ohio State, and he didn't win a Big Ten title. And he came up short against Georgia. But that kid showed so much class and character that I rooted for him this year. And now he's putting his money back into Ohio State and helping them get players. Don't you wish and don't you hope that you'll see that from Georgia players that are in the NFL? So I'm rooting for C.J. Stroud. I tip my cap to Ohio State. I think they're a darn good program. And what they went through with Michigan and the whole spy thing. And, and I don't mind Ryan Day. I really don't. I mean, I, I think he's a good coach, but you got to be a great coach there. So I, I don't get ugly about it. I don't, I don't harbor that ill will. I respect. I appreciate. I try to put myself in other shoes. And covering Georgia, it's easy to do that because, like, this program's number one. When I, when I have Chris Lowe on here in just a few minutes, you're going to hear Chris talk about this. And Chris talks from 10,000 feet. He's a national writer for ESPN. He breaks – 75% of the coaching stories. He's really plugged in, does a fantastic job and, um, and has for, for decades really. And uh, he's going to give you his perspective on Kirby smart and George in the sec and in the NIL. Uh, I want to mention basketball off the top, you know, Jabri Abdur Rahim, Silas Demery jr. All right. The fact that I'm giving you basketball players and names tells you what's happening. Those guys are starting to carve out an identity. And yeah, they lost at Kentucky, but you got to appreciate this. Can you imagine being Mike White going to Kentucky, the highest scoring team in the country, the number one field goal percentage team in the SEC, the number one turnover assist ratio team in it? You're playing the fastest, the biggest, the best, the best executing. And, and you're going up there for a Saturday night game in Rupp Arena with more than 20,000 people. It just doesn't get any louder, any better than that. Okay. Until it did. So we're at the 16-minute mark. I'm watching the game, and all of a sudden, eh, here comes off the bench. True story. This guy's seven foot two, and he shoots three-pointers. The seven foot two Croatian. And I'm thinking, what in the and it, sure enough, look at this. Well, earlier today, the NCAA approved the seven foot two, 235-pound Croatian to play tonight. And of course he goes bonkers. 
And I'm going, this guy's like a video game character. Like, like when I would play my son and he would create these characters, I'd say, you can't do that. You can't make a seven foot two guy that shoots three pointers at a 40% clip. It's not realistic. Well, I'm watching it and he's on the Kentucky team and Georgia happens to be the team that's playing him. Right. So if you're Mike White, you got to go oh, for God's sakes, really. And Kentucky goes up 28. But you know what these dogs did? They fought back. They only lost about, what, eight or nine points? Look, respect, right? Jabri Abdur-Rahim scored 34, dropped seven three-pointers, man. And Silas Demery Jr. had a career high freshman. You got to see this guy. This guy plays with fire, man. If Kirby goes to the game Wednesday, he's going to love this guy. This guy could play running back at Georgia, Silas Demery Jr. Ferocious freshman. He gets 22. And Georgia walks out of their heads high, pride intact, respectable final score, and now they got to come home beat LSU Wednesday night. And, and, and Georgia is already, like, opening the gates for all the freshmen get in free. Or, excuse me, all the students get in free with an ID. Like, they're going to pack it out. It's a 6.30 game. It's a tough midweek game. So they're like, you know what, we're going to do whatever we got to do to get kids there, to get a crowd there. Because this next game against LSU is the kind of game that Georgia has to win. You have to win home games against non-NCAA tournament teams like LSU. You cannot take a step back. If this team is going to make the NCAA tournament and they're angling for it and they're playing like it and it's looking like it could happen, but right now they're on the bubble of the bubble, they've got to beat teams like LSU. And then they got to take care of business in Gainesville Saturday. It's a whole other show. That'll be next Monday. We'll talk about Mike White going back to Gainesville with a team that can beat the Gators. The Gators are the other team on the fringe. There's seven or eight SEC teams. They're looking like NCAA tournament. Somehow South Carolina is still in Lenardi's bracket. They're one of those fringe teams, right? The Gators are one of those fringe teams. This is a game, Georgia. If they can win in Gainesville, that would be a huge victory and a big step to getting them in the field of 64. And there's a lot of tough games left. They still got to play Bruce Pearl and Auburn twice. That ain't going to be easy. They still got to play Alabama. They got to make a trip to Arkansas. But they're playing tough. They're playing well. And I'm hearing Georgia fans talking loudly about this team. And they're coming out to see the Bulldogs under Mike White in year two. Everything this team has worked for. And I appreciate that because I've been here five, five, six years, and I've seen some teams shine at times. The Ant-Man era was exciting at times. I, I always wondered what would have happened if COVID hadn't stopped the tournament because Ant-Man was going to play all the way through. Even though he was the number one overall pick, he was going to play in that tournament. He wasn't going to opt out because Ant-Man was, was all that. He was such a good dude. I, I hope that you had the opportunity to see Anthony Edwards when he was here. Nick Claxton. He was another dude. I mean, Crean had some dudes. Unfortunately, the culture was just so far behind, and that was a time when you pretty much had to uh, get under NBA and uh, FBI investigation to recruit guys to compete in the SEC. It seemed like half the league was under investigation. Crane just wasn't going to do it. Uh, now you got NIL, and, and Georgia spending a little bit of money, and, and what do you know? They got a competitive roster, and Mike White is coaching them up. So uh, good times for Georgia. If you're a Georgia fan, uh, it's a good time to be following football, to be looking forward to next season, to be looking forward to the offseason, the spring, the competition. Kirby adding another quarterback potentially. Right now I want to take a short break. Uh, when we come back, uh, expecting Chris Lowe to be in here at any point. But right now, uh, Ingles is here. 
And you know this ad. We always watch the ad. You guys know the jingle. You guys know the message. Uh, you know, we love it. We appreciate it. It's something that we can count on every week, Ingles. And I want to thank my sponsor, Ingles. And right now, I want to bring you this message from Ingles. Did you know that Ingles sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department? Or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Welcome back to the program. Mike Griffith here, segment two. Thinking about NIL dealings, thinking about transfer rules, thinking about how the early transfer window overlaps with early signing day, how that also overlaps with the juniors that are going to declare early for the NFL draft and the formula that the coaches have to go through is they're trying to make decisions on their roster, right? Every player pretty much can renegotiate their deal after every season. It's almost as if players are on a year to year contract and a year to year deal. And when incoming freshmen come in, you can imagine the, the chemistry issues this causes. If a freshman comes in and he's got some monster deal, uh, big payroll, what if it's more than a returning player? What if, what if Dalen Everett isn't making as much as K.J. Bolden? If you're Dalen Everett and you're like, well, now, wait a minute. You know, I, I've been here a year, coach. Can I, um, you know, can I get that salary? You know, can I get that raise? And if you're Kirby, what do you do, right? Some guys you got to pay more for on the front end. Um, and that's challenging. And um, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have Chris Lowe on tonight to talk about this with me, uh, because I do think that this is something that college football has got to change, uh, evolve, you know, something with the calendar. Um, Michael, if you can let me know when Chris is here, um, love to get Chris involved in the conversation. Don't know if Chris is having some issues connecting, but this is something that I think has to evolve. Number one is the calendar. I don't know that they can do much as far as players getting paid. Like that cat's out of the bag. That toothpaste is out of the tube, so to speak. I, so players are going to get paid. I don't think you can do much about the transfer portal and players' ability to go from one school to another school um, with, with freedom. I think, I don't think you can restrict them into just staying at one school. I think they're going to have that freedom and, you know, otherwise you're running into some antitrust things. So if that's going to be the case, if players are going to get paid, if players are going to have the opportunity to change from one school to the next school and, and maybe even twice, um, you know, for a while there, they were saying, okay, you can only do this once and you can't do it again until you graduate. And now they're saying, well, you know, that's not going to hold up in court. So I think what they have to do is they have to get a calendar that works. I think they have to find out a way to make this work where there can be some order and some semblance of where a guy comes in and he transfers in and now you do your signing class and now the guys declare. I think the tough part about all this is that the NFL doesn't really have any incentive to work with college on this. Like what if they change their – 
um, what if they changed their way of doing things where like maybe guys didn't have to declare so early um, you could move the window back when guys could declare for the NFL. So the coaches could have a, a better idea of what their roster was. Um, I'm not sure if that would work or not. Um, I think we're going to try and bring Chris in. I know that uh, I know that there was a connection issue. He's been snowed in up there in Knoxville. Chris, can you hear me? Okay. Chris, Chris, can you hear me? All right. I think we're having trouble with our connection here. Um, apologize for that. Um, if you guys haven't seen it, Knoxville got hit with uh, ice and snow, and they've pretty much been shut down for a week. Now, as the crow flies, Athens, Georgia, is directly 120 miles south of there. Now, as you know, to drive there, you got to you know drive to Atlanta and then drive back back up through Chattanooga, like 45 degrees this way, 45 degrees that way. Um, but they got hit with a terrible snowstorm. Uh, and then ice and freezing rain and roads and their their school's been out for a week. Uh, they've had all sorts of troubles. And I know Chris, uh, I know Chris lives in one of those really nice neighborhoods. It's a little far out. Normally you're like, oh man, this is beautiful. You like to live out in the countryside by the mountain and all that. Um, well, when there's snow and ice, it can make things complicated. And it seems like we might be having some technical issues tonight and apologize for that. Um, that can happen from time to time. NIL portal window solutions, again, this was something that I've been thinking a lot about. I know Kirby talked about maybe two different plans, right? A kid comes in and signs one or two different types of scholarships. He can either sign a three-year scholarship where he's kind of locked into that school and school's locked into him, or he can sign like a, a year-by-year scholarship. And, and maybe that's kind of a, a different deal where, okay, it's year-to-year, you can renegotiate every year, but the school can also drop you, for lack of a better word. Um, I don't know. I mean, that that seemed like one of the options. I think Kirby, probably more than any other coach uh, that I've talked to or heard speak, has really kind of embraced the concept of this while still trying to maintain um, the conventional way of recruiting talent and developing it. I mean, he said point blank, if he could just do it with his guys and keep all his guys, he would love to do that. But I did a story last week, and, and, and I just listed a laundry list of guys that have gone to other schools. I think of the 21 guys from Georgia that have gone on the portal, and I want to say 18 of them have been scholarship players. All 18 of those guys went to Power 5 schools where they will be a starter or a backup. Think about that. Guys that were not good enough to make it at Georgia or coming off an injury. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think Georgia really lost anybody that they didn't want to lose. Maybe Brock Vandegrift. I mean, definitely Brock Vandegrift. I know Kirby didn't want to lose Brock. Um, he's such a fantastic player and, 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 and leader and such a fantastic attitude. But Brock's been waiting three years, and he can go right to Kentucky and play. And I think everybody understood that. He did that on the front end. There was no negotiation. There was no dragging it out. It was, you know, we're out. They didn't know what Beck was going to do. It was just time for them to go. And it's what the family decided and didn't want to be a distraction. Other than Brock Vandegrift, um, maybe A.J. Harris, um, maybe two or three guys. But most of the guys, they weren't going to play. And, and Kirby said at the bowl game, and it really shocked me, and, and maybe, maybe it shouldn't have shocked me, but it did when he said, hey, guys, uh, the transfer portal is not such a bad thing. Uh, it's a good thing. 
you know, you guys got to try, you know, stop making a bad thing. I was like, wow, you know, that was a different perspective from Kirby, but you come to understand why. If guys are in their third year or fourth year and they're not playing, then they probably need to look somewhere else and and, and they don't want to stay and compete. Then they probably need to look somewhere else. He'd rather have that than have guys in the locker room that are unhappy, uh, you know, causing drama, that are upset, that don't have a good attitude. And then he can bring in a whole new batch of young players to compete. So, you know, Kirby's kind of one of those guys that says, hey, deal me the cards. I don't got time to complain about it. It's, it's my job to try to win with it. He's just a can-do guy. You know, he's one of those guys when you always hear people say, you know, if you got stuck on a deserted island with any SEC coach, which one would you want to be stuck on the island with to get off? And the answer is Kirby. Because the minute that he was on that island, he wouldn't be feeling sorry for himself and, and beating the sand crying. He'd be working at ways to figure out how to get off the island. He's just a guy that doesn't rest. Uh, just never – complacent, never satisfied. The glass is always half empty from the standpoint of, of pushing uh, to try to make things better. And I think that's been part of the magic for Georgia football. And, and when people you know, talk to me about Kirby Smart uh, and they ask me you know, how things are at Georgia and why it is the way it is, I, I explain to them, you know, it, it's Kirby Smart, it's Kirby's attitude, it's Kirby's ability to, you know, to adapt uh, and it's his sense of urgency. You know, I, I did a radio show a couple of weeks ago and, and somebody said, um, well, hey, Mike, it's, you know, it's that time of the year, uh, not a lot going on. Uh, you know, maybe, you know, people can relax around Athens a little bit. And I said, uh, absolutely not. There's never a time to there's never nothing going on. I mean, there's always something going on in that football building, whether Kirby's recruiting, um, you know, whether he's interviewing coaches, um, you know, there's just there's never a break. I think the guys had a couple weeks off before they went back to training uh, their offseason conditioning program. I mean, this is this is when the championships are won. Like right now uh, is, you know, how hard are these guys going to work and, and how are they going to develop? You know, some people, you know, I talk to um, and, and I'll get into this in the next segment. When I look at next year's Georgia team, th- there's guys that got to get better for Georgia to win a championship. I mean, Georgia with what they got back, I mean, that is not a team that you put on the field and I go, yep, they're going to win a title. That's a team I p- you put on the field and I say they got to get better. Now, in, in the past years, they do get better. You know hey, Mike, I mean? we uh, we have our guest. Oh, do we have Chris joining us now? We do. That's great. Chris, can you hear me all right? Yeah, Mike, I'm sorry. I, I was watching you and, and was listening to what you said, but it was almost like you were talking underwater. I couldn't understand what you were saying. So I got you loud and clear right now. Well, great. Great to have Chris Lowe join us. Of course, everybody knows Chris from ESP, ESPN.com. Chris is a national writer. Uh, I go back into the 90s with Chris. Chris was a Tennessee beat writer uh, at the Tennessee when I was in Knoxville. And boy, uh, when Chris would beat me on a story back in the newspaper days, I had to wait 24 hours to, to catch up. And that, that sure was a tough feeling. Now, uh, Chris beats everybody on a story. And you know, within about an, an hour, all of us will try to report what Chris reports. And Chris, it's it, it's got to be a challenging time um, for you, I think, with all the movement and the chain reaction. And, um, you know, kind of give me your timeline or, you know, kind of what happened with that whole Nick Saban retirement, because it really seemed like it turned college football upside down fast. <laughs> well, Mike, I appreciate it. It's good. Good to catch up. I um I've not seen anything like it, man. The just the domino effect that's that's taken place all over the country. 
Um, you know, they say the portal giveth and it taketh away. Well, look at teams like Ohio State, for instance, who's been benefited. Texas, who's benefited. Uh, a lot of schools. All these guys leaving from Alabama, and some of them had left, were going to leave before you know, Saban retired. But once he retired, you had some really good players. Jaden Proctor goes to Iowa. Caleb, Caleb Downs goes to Ohio State. Isaiah Bond, you know, the hero of the Auburn game, goes to Texas. Uh, and and then, but Washington, you know, look at what happened in Washington. DeBoer goes to Alabama. Jed Fish goes from Arizona to Washington. You see a lot of those kids from Arizona. Even and now Alabama's starting to cash in a little bit. They get Parker Brailsford, the center for Washington comes in and Alabama needs a center. I think they got a great chance to get the uh, the corner, uh, Muhammad, who was a really good player for Washington. So that's just where we are now, man. And you know it. I, I told you, you, you were kind enough to come on my show last night. I think if Kirby, and this is, I'm not suggesting this is going to happen at all. Okay. This is just a hypothetical. If Kirby were to take, say the Falcons job tomorrow, then I think you would see something similar at Georgia players, go to play for Kirby Smart, they go to play for Nick Saban, they go to play for Caleb DeBoer, and a lot of those guys would leave because, and I was listening to you a little bit, everyone's looking for a new deal, a better deal, to double their deal. And and every kid's got an agent, an attorney, uh, who's sort of shopping them around, certainly in these situations where you got a 30-day window, if your coach leaves, uh, to sort of get in the portal. And I know a lot of fans don't like it, and, and certainly coaches don't like it, but it's just where we are right now. And I think it's up to the coaches. It's up to the staffs until something changes. And I don't know when it is to figure out a way to manage it and adapt and evolve because the ones who, the ones who do that and learn to sort of live in this era and, and figure it out are the ones you're going to probably be better off for. No doubt, Chris. Uh, talking with Chris Love, ESPN, uh, ESPN.com. You, you've read him. You've seen him. does tremendous work. Uh, you know, Chris, if, if I give you the crystal ball and, and, and nobody seems to has all the answers, two questions. Number one, whose job is it to have the answers? I don't sense a whole lot of leadership uh, from the NCAA right now. And then number two, you know, what would you suggest as far as the schedule? How can we clean this up where there's a little bit more order to this? And, and we don't see these uh, this overlap of the schedule where, it just like I said, I don't think Goodwill Hunting could solve this problem. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you who I don't have a lot of confidence in that's going to solve it, and that's Congress. And anybody who's sitting around and waiting for, for some type of congressional deal or, or, or bill or Congress to step in, senators to step in and say, all right, this is, this is the answer, this is going to fix it all. I, I, I wouldn't hold my breath on that, Mike. Uh, you know, I would say, again, I don't have a crystal ball either, but do, first of all, do we, do we still need two signing dates? I mean, that might be they might help some of it as far as the calendar. I don't know that we need two signing dates right now. Um, you know, June used to be a time which was pretty – I mean, you remember when we were covering the SEC in the early 2000s, June was a pretty tame time. You know, coaches, <laughs> you, you didn't have all these guys come on campus on visits, and, and now it's, it's the month of June. You talk to a coach, it's crazy. Uh, here's what I think was going to happen, and I, I, I can't give you a, a – a time frame necessarily, but I think football is going to break away from the NCAA. And I don't know if that's in two years or five years, but I think there's going to be a big conglomerate of teams, the halves. And is it 32? Is it 40? Is it 48? I don't know. And I think they're going to play their own playoff, Mike. I think there will be a commissioner. 
I think they'll be they'll have their own governance. I think players will have their own representation to represent their own deals. I know you're going to say everybody will say, wait a minute, that sounds like employed. It sounds like pro football. It really is sort of already is pro football. It's just the players don't have contracts. They can move around as much as they want and get a better deal. Coaches do have contracts and have to pay pay buyouts. And I'm not saying that the players shouldn't get paid. But that's where, as I talk to people, and I'm sure you have too, administrators and coaches and people a part of the game all say they think that they're moving or the game is moving in that direction. Not every sport, per se, but football. And I just have a hard time seeing football in three, four, five years from now being controlled or governed by the NCAA. Yeah, I'm with you, Chris, and, and it makes a lot of sense. And football is different than the other sports. You know, talking with uh, Steve Forbes, another guy that you and I know quite well at Wake Forest, and, you know, he, he's saying, you know, now you got, what, Stanford and Cal joining the ACC. I mean, okay, for football, that's that's maybe one or two games a year, but think about basketball and, and think about some of these other sports. I mean, how realistic is it, you know, to think that these schools can afford to travel across the country? I mean, Oregon and Washington and in the Big Ten. I mean, that is one thing that I do think that the SEC's done right, and that's maintained a, a degree of, of geographical integrity. Now, it's not perfect. I mean, it's a long way from Gainesville to Austin, Texas. But, but for the most part, all these states are – are uh, congruent with one another. So uh, I'm with you, Chris. I, I think we'll, you know, now, you know, you spell it out like that. It makes a lot of sense. It fits with the 12 team playoff. I want to narrow this down. Um, I know our audience is excited to have you on here talking to Chris Lowe. He's a, a national college football writer. He really knows the SEC extremely well. Uh, when we look at next season and I'm at the beginning of the show or beginning of your segment, you were talking about, some of the programs that have benefited greatly, Ohio State and Texas uh, particularly. What other teams in the SEC do you think we're going to see make a big jump thanks to this portal and, their, uh, and the players that they've taken in during this window? I think right at the top of the list, Mike, is the portal king, Lane Kiffin. When you look at um, what he's done really the, the last couple of years, it's not easy you know, to, to every year sort of plug and, and play and have continue to have continuity in your locker room, but he seemed to do it pretty well, and, and they've gone out and they've gotten uh, they've gotten receivers, they've gotten defensive players. They really wanted to beef up on defense, and, and they went and they got a couple guys, Walter Nolan in particular, who was one of the top four or five players in the country a few years ago. They're in the middle of their defensive line. They've uh, they've continued to sort of bring in offensive linemen, they, uh, tight ends, and you know he's won ten games two of the last three years. And, and and been able to this year goes to the bowl game and wins and wins eleven games. So his roster is going to look different. I, I think you've always got to have a quarterback, Mike, and you know that Jackson Dart now will be his third year. He's seen it all. He's played on some big stages. Uh, the fact that he's back, the tight ends back. I think Trey Harris has got a chance to be uh, one of the better receivers in college football if he can stay healthy, and they should be better and deeper on defense. So. You know, outside of the usual suspects, you know, Texas and Georgia, uh, I look at, at, at Ole Miss and say, hey, Ole Miss has got a chance, especially now in what's a different landscape. You don't have to be the top SEC team or one of the top two. I think if you're a top four SEC team now in a 12-team playoff, most years you're going to get in. 
Yeah, I think you're right, Chris. Talking with Chris Lowe, ESPN.com. A couple teams I want to ask you about, Chris. Brian Kelly's a guy that came into the league and, and, and did a fantastic job. Notre Dame's all-time winningest coach. I, I thought that you know he was a little underrated when he first came to the league. He comes in, he beats Alabama, goes to the SEC championship game. Uh, some troubles defensively this year. Some rumors, rumors he might end up at Michigan. Uh, tell me what you think about that, A. And then, B, uh, Josh Heupel in Tennessee. Uh, you know, the Vols were number one there, uh, according to the college football playoff, uh, not last year, but the year before. And this is just a coach that strikes me as, as being really good and having a really explosive scheme in Tennessee, uh, obviously, with a lot of means and a lot of money. Um, tell me what you think about those two coaches and those two programs in the next year or two. Well, I'll say this about Brian Kelly. He um, he certainly didn't waste any time in overhauling his defensive staff this year. <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of people would have maybe not have acted that quickly, but he goes out and he brings, you know, Blake Baker in from Missouri and um, a guy who done a really, really nice job there at, at Missouri. When you look at what Drinkwitz was able to do this year in their breakthrough season, and you know, so much was talk, there was so much talk about Missouri on offense, and they were good, but I thought the difference in what Missouri did this year was on defense mm-hmm. and how they how good they were in key games. I think bring, bringing Blake Baker over. Uh, it, I think helps and, and just say, listen, we're, what we did last year on defense is unacceptable at a place like LSU. And it shouldn't be. I mean, there's no reason LSU with all the athletes and the people they recruit should ever be that porous on defense. And I think getting Harold Perkins back to being Harold Perkins will be a big deal for LSU this year. And I think Blake will do that. You know, he's, he's too impactful, Mike, of a defender. He just, at times this year, he just, just didn't really know that he was on the field. I think you'll see that change next year. Uh, Tennessee, uh, Heupel accomplished more in year two than anybody would have dreamed. You know, getting Tennessee to 11 wins, you're right. When Tennessee and Georgia played it there in Athens, Tennessee was one and Georgia was, was two, which probably that was the worst thing for Tennessee because you know what Kirby was doing <laughs> a week leading up to that game, and it turned out just that way. Uh, Georgia dominated that football game, certainly, certainly physical, physically. This year, not as good. Uh, they just they didn't they didn't win any key games. Uh, they weren't as consistent or as explosive on offense, but they were still respectable. And, and I think in year four we'll see where they go again. Much like Ole Miss, Tennessee doesn't have to win the conference or be in the top two. If they can get in that top four, you know we're going to see the, the quarterback Nico, who is you know by all intents and purposes, I think he's got true un, unbelievable arm talent. He's got touch. He's one of those guys that I think just from a physical skill set is exactly what you're going to, what you want in the quarterback. We'll see how durable he is. You know, when people come after him and hit him, we saw him in one game uh, this past year against Iowa in the Citrus Bowl. And he looked pretty good, but this, this is his team going forward. And I think probably as, as important as anything, Mike is how good is Tennessee around him? Can they protect him? Does he have guys at, at you know, the playmaking positions that can make some plays for him? And can Tennessee continue to run the football, which they've done pretty consistently under Josh Heifel? So I put a ball. Georgia's the best team in the league, the most talented team. they got the best roster. I think Texas is pretty close. Uh, after that, though, I think there's, what, five teams, maybe, maybe six, five certainly, that have a chance to sort of jockey for position, Alabama, Missouri, Ole Miss, Tennessee, um, I think all of those teams, if you ask me right now, who do you think's got a legitimate chance to make the playoff? 
I would say all those teams. And um, depending on how healthy they stay, uh, how does the quarterback play at LSU, there's a lot of questions like that. But uh, I do think it's going to be pretty fascinating come November next year when you're going to have, what would you say, Mike, six or seven teams to start the month in November to have a somewhat realistic chance to make a 12-team playoff. Yeah. Sure. I think the SEC do a really good job scheduling that. Chris, you're going to have an All-American team, I guess, coming out a little bit later this week. Uh, can you give us any Can you give us any uh, sneak previews, any ideas? Are there going to be a lot of SEC guys, or is, is it going to be the All-SEC and All-Big Ten team? Because uh, when I look in the portal, it looks like those two conferences are dominating the transfer portal right now. Well, they're going to dominate football. And I just Again, I know people maybe in the Big 12 and the ACC don't want to hear that, but those two, those two conferences um, are, are sort of like – I mean, they're just sort of a planet by themselves right now, Mike. And I'm not saying no one can, can close up – can close some ground or make up some, some ground. I, I'm not saying that. But right now, those two, those two conferences, monetarily, talent, coaches – I mean, just look at the coaching lineup in the SEC and the Big Ten. Um, it's, you know, it's phenomenal. So – these All-American teams, and I've done in the last couple of years, the early, we call it the way too early All-American team. It's really hard to do because <laughs> you're, doing a lot of project, you're doing a lot of projecting. You know, you're trying to figure out, all right, this guy's moving to this team. Is he going to switch positions? How's he going to fit in uh, that defensive system? I mean, Caleb Downs is a great example. I mean, I'll, I'll sort of give something like Caleb Downs is, is going to be on our All-American team. I don't know if there's a better safety in the country. There's some maybe comparable, but he's going from Bama to Ohio State. So how does he fit in that system? How does he fit in that defense? Um, I think he will because he's so talented. But it's hard at this time of year, especially when you start picking offensive linemen and even interior defensive linemen, you know, because a lot of the, those guys that are all draft picks are gone. So you got to sort of find that guy who had maybe a big freshman year, maybe a guy who didn't have as big a role as a sophomore was solid, but then breaks out as a junior. And I can tell you that George is certainly going to be represented. As I looked at the offensive line, Mike, as I was trying to figure out who, you know, we're doing a first and a second team. And I knew this already, but when you start doing your homework and talking to people and talking to scouts, uh, I was blown away at how good Georgia should be, even losing a guy like Ben Pratt. Right. How good and how strong I think they'll be in the offensive line again next year. Yep, I think we'll probably see a guy or two. You know, one of the things that uh, makes the Georgia team so good is, you know, they get to compete against guys that are really good in practice. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you this, Chris, um, and, and I'll tell the audience this too, you know, back, back in the day, uh, practices were open and Tennessee would have these double session practices and you'd have to get there at about 7 a.m. And uh, I knew that I had to be there at 7 because I knew Chris would be there. So you want to talk about somebody making you better, uh, working alongside of you, Chris, for years, made me better. And I'm really glad to have you on the show tonight. I really enjoy your work at ESPN.com. I think you do a phenomenal job. You're a go-to guy uh, and a great source of information. I want to thank you for coming on tonight and I uh, hope I can get you on again this offseason, my friend. Yeah, I'd, I'd be glad to, Mike. Sorry about the technical difficulties there to start, but it's always, always good to catch up and talk some football and as you know man it's always college football season in the SEC it is you stay safe up there Chris I know you got a little ice and snow left to deal with Chris Lowe from ESPN.com coming up next it's the hot and cold segment it's brought to you by anytime heating cooling and plumbing stay with me we're going to talk about Georgia football who needs to get hot 
And the coldest take that I have seen of the week from one of Chris's ESPN teammates will be right back after this message from Anytime Heating, Cooling, and Plumbing. Anytime Heating, Cooling, and Plumbing. Our family has been making sure Georgia fans and their families are comfortable for over 20 years. Let us do the same for yours. Anytime. Service, repairs, and replacement with trained systems. Our trained comfort specialists are carefully selected to visit your home and offer you a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Anytime offers an annual three-visit comfort plan starting at just $155. Visit AnytimeHVAC.com for details. Anytime. Large enough to take care of your heating, cooling, and plumbing, but small enough to care. Welcome back to the program. I hope you enjoyed that segment with Chris Lowe. Chris does a dynamite job. I've known Chris for, gosh, uh, probably uh, 1998, right? 25 years now, and, and he just keeps doing fantastic work and breaking news. Uh, love his All-American teams. Love all the previews uh, that he does. And when I think about ESPN.com and their college football uh, Chris has led the way, a uh, true leader in our industry, and and you guys heard the breakdown. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. So I appreciated having him on, uh, making time for him, and, and we, we'll, we'll try to get him on again uh, this later this offseason. We've had a, a lot of great guests. Uh, obviously, there's been a lot of folks from the SEC Network that have come on and, and other beat writers from other programs. We want to try to continue that uh, as much as we can, and, you know, we're getting into – you know, we're getting into the basketball now, and, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to want to talk more basketball. I'm just going to give you a heads up that if this basketball team takes care of business against LSU and maintains this pace, I think Georgia basketball is coming around. And, you know, baseball is right around the corner, and so softball. And, and I'll tell you, I think Georgia softball has a World Series team. And this new baseball coach is talking to his players about Omaha. And I'm not, I'm not ready to say Georgia baseball is going to Omaha, especially when you look at, at the rigor, rigors of the SEC and how challenging it is. Um, but I, I think this team uh, is going to have an edge. I want a quick look at SEC basketball standings here. I'm looking at this. Uh, Auburn, number one. Bruce Pearl is a phenomenal coach. He's one of the top five coaches in the country. Uh, he's a guy I covered for six years, know him really well. Fantastic person, fantastic motivator. Uh, I would have never thought that Bruce Pearl could win at Auburn, but that goes to show you the value of a fantastic coach. Uh, Kentucky, number two. I don't know that anybody's playing any better. You heard me talking about the seven foot two, 235 pound Croatian that shoots three pointers. Like I said, it's just something out of a video. You saw Tennessee. Tennessee came in here. They look like an NBA team with this Dalton Connect guy. I mean, looks like Dirk Nikowski or something. I mean, the guy knocks down everything, can get to the rim. Um, you know, those to me, those three teams are all Final Four potential teams. And then you get into the next level. I see Alabama sitting there four and one. Really good team. And then at three and two, you've got South Carolina, Georgia, and LSU. Georgia has already gone and won at South Carolina. That was a really big win. A lot of people still projecting Carolina in the NCAA tournament, even while they leave Georgia out. This is why LSU is such a big game. The Tigers are 3-2. and two. This is a team Georgia is going to have to play well. I think LSU has more talent, but I think Georgia is a better team. I don't know if that makes sense, but Wednesday night at 6.30 at the Stag, that place is going to be rocking. That promotions team, um, they're going to do everything they can to give Georgia a home court advantage. And then I look at some teams that are 2-3, and three. Ole Miss. That Ole Miss was a team that started 13-0, and 0, okay? And then I think Tennessee beat them by 30. All of a sudden, they're 2-3. and three. Mississippi State, that's a team that beat Tennessee and Starkville on their home court right before Georgia played them. So, uh, and then there's Florida two and three in the league. Mike White gets a chance to go into Gainesville Saturday 
and knock those Gators out. Buzz Williams and AM, two and three. Are you kidding me? I mean, this guy, you talk about a fantastic coach and resources and money. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, and then at one and four, here's Arkansas, one and four. Uh, I mean, this team was picked to finish in the top three in the league. They're one and four. And then at the bottom, uh, Missouri and Vanderbilt, 0 and five. Uh, but man, what a great start. You know, you heard Jimmy Dykes talk about Georgia flipping it, flipping the team. I, I think it's still a little soon to say that. But I'm getting very optimistic with Jabri Abdur Rahim and Silas Demery Jr. These two guys. Uh, they, they really impress me. They really, there's some other good players. Melendez is a great player. Thompson's a great player. Um, you know, uh, so many good players on that team that continue, but, but I've written about it. These are guys that have transferred in from other, Justin Hill, big shot maker, clutch guy. These are guys that transferred in from other places. They're on their second, third and final chance. All right. Most of these guys are either going to travel overseas or play in developmental leagues and never see the NBA. But they got a couple guys that could make it. Jabri Abdur Rahim is making a believer out of me. He is making he is making a believer out of me with the jump that he has made, his three-point shooting, his leadership, his poise. I think he needs to continue to work on his body and get more physical. And Silas Demery Jr., I don't know what to say about this guy. Six four, explosive, confident. Um, I, I hope he stays another year. I don't think he's a one-and-done type. I think he's a guy that could get bigger, stronger, better, faster, more savvy, work, work himself into a first-round pick, improve the outside shot. Uh, and Mike White's doing a really good job. So I, I just – I've got to say all those things because they deserve it. And, and I know that Georgia basketball history is lacking. There's been, what, one regular season championship since 1931 – um, a couple of tournament championships. I mean, this is this has been a, this is it's been tough. It's been tough for whatever reason. The culture has never really been there. I think Hugh Durham had it going. Um, you know, I thought he was a fantastic coach. I thought Tubby Smith. Uh, there were signs of life there. Uh, Jim Herrick. You always will always wonder what would have been. Um, but but I think Mike White. Uh, Mike's at a point in his career where he's got something to prove too. The people in Florida had given up on him. Um, and that was unfortunate. You know, this is a classy guy, uh, first class coach. And I think he's coaching with a chip on his shoulder. I think Mike White knows that people had given up on him and he's going to try to show it working with Josh Brooks, the athletic director, you know, these guys are going to try to prove something to the world. So it's a fun program to cover right now. Now getting to my hot and cold segment. Love this segment. Uh, I want to thank uh, Jay, Jay Black for coming up with this idea of breaking it down like this. So Heather Dinich, who I have a ton of respect for, I mean, she's got a thankless job having to report on the College Football Playoff Committee, and I think she knocks it out of the park. I think she is fantastic. She is an unbelievable journalist. Um, but but I'm going to disagree with her on something. And it's in my story, if you, if you read that. Um, she said that George's path to the SEC – championship game has been easier because they've been in the East. And I, I, I kind of disagree with that, especially the last two years. Um, I think about last season, when you think about Georgia's crossover game from the West, it was against Ole Miss. I mean, that was a, that was a, a top 10 team. And, and when you look at the highest ranked team, not to make the, the SEC championship game, it was Missouri. So Georgia played the number three and number four team in the league. So I, I don't think you can say the East was that down. Um, you know, they played Bama. They played Auburn, too. The same Auburn that, that Bama was lucky. Let's face it. I, I was there covering that game. They were the Milrow Miracle, that fourth and 31. I, I just knew we needed to cover it. I mean, the game never disappoints. 
Um, you know, that's a team that had Alabama beat. They all played Alabama that day. So, so I, I'm going to disagree with Heather on that. And the year before, you heard Chris and I talking about Tennessee being number one uh, for one of the college football playoff rankings. Georgia had to go through them. That Tennessee team beat Alabama and LSU. Um, so I, I don't think – and Missouri was good. So I don't think the East has necessarily been, you know, just a bunch of doormats. Now, Vanderbilt's pretty awful and doesn't care about football. We know that. But other than Vandy, I mean, heck, even South Carolina a couple years ago, uh, you know, beats Clemson, knocks Clemson out of the Dagon college football playoff, essentially, out of the top four. So I think the East has had more teeth. And I think that that narrative has just existed so long that people just kind of repeat it without really looking closer at it the last couple of years and seeing that, wow, you know, Georgia has had to go through some tough teams in the East Division and with the crossover teams that they've had to play. So uh, I thought Dennis did a fantastic job, though, um, isolating the top games next year. They're going to have the biggest impact on the 12-team playoff. We're, we're, we're kind of rewiring our brains right now on all of college football. And you, you heard me talk about that in the first segment when I was talking about the Dooley code and, and how you can't get, you know, hyperactive over players coming and going because things have changed now and, and, and minding your social media manners, a little bit of a lecture for me on that. And I was, and I was not always the best on that folks. If, if you really want to dig into my Twitter and go back to 2009, I probably got into some Twitter beefs that I shouldn't have. I remember, when Dan Woken was covering Memphis basketball and I was covering Bruce Pearl and Tennessee and, and me and Woken used to get into these ridiculous Twitter beats and probably buried. So you could go back and, and turn me into a hypocrite and say, well, Mike, you're giving us this lecture about social media manners. And we went back and saw you and Woken trolling each other for a couple of years. Uh, saw you arguing with people. You know, I don't do that anymore. I don't want my blood pressure to go up, especially if I don't even know your name, much less if and I'm certainly not going to go after someone that I don't know. Um, um, So we've had to rewire our brains with how we feel about, uh, you know, manners on social media and how we talk about recruits and, you know, don't wonder out loud about their family. That's that's not that's not cool to do. Um, And we've got to rewire our brains about football next year. Because now it's a 12-team playoff. And I think I still think every weekend matters because there's four teams that get a bye. And I think that bye is huge. And all you got to do is look at Georgia last year. What if Georgia had a bye and didn't have to play Alabama in the SEC title game? You Could they have used some rest? I mean, the Georgia that I saw, and I know Florida State was missing some guys, but did you see Lad McConkey against Florida State? If that Lad McConkey – that played against Florida State and ran through him like some ridiculous video game character, was healthy like that against Bama, Georgia would have won that game. But as it was, they were beat up, they were tired. So I think those four teams that get a bye, and you've got to be a conference champion, the four highest-ranked conference champions get a bye in next year's college football playoff. And then it goes 5, 12, 6, 11, 7, 10, 8, 9 on campuses. Right. And then you get into the second round that are going to be played at the New Year's Six Bowl sites. So 
I think every weekend still matters, but you heard what Chris was saying about six or seven teams when we go into month of November that are still going to be able to find their way into the playoff. And what Heather Dinich did in the story, it was a Payside article. So I didn't, I'm not going to copy and paste everything. I mean, ESPN plus is, you know, I, I pay for it. Um, they do fantastic work, but I did take some snippets out of there that involved Georgia uh, and wrote about it, kind of promote her piece a little bit and also give you um, information. I say, I love this headline. Chris Lowe debates Mike Griffith. You know, I, I don't know that we really debated too much. I don't really debate with Chris. He makes me laugh too much anytime we start to argue, but we certainly had a spirited discussion. But but getting back to, to Heather Dienich, um, Georgia, she named Georgia two of Georgia's games as being the most impactful games of next season on the college football playoff. And I totally agree. Number one, Georgia at Texas. October 19th. I, I've already got the date memorized. I don't remember many dates. I, I don't, I, I mean, seriously, I'm embarrassed to tell you some dates I forget, but I remember that date. I remember October 19th. I remember that's when, oh, that's Austin. I got my hotel rooms. If you don't got yours, good luck. And oh, by the way, there's a Formula One race there that weekend. This town is going to be so packed. And, and it's a lot of, did Texas do that on purpose? Did Texas schedule Georgia? on a weekend that would make it hard for Georgia people to go. I, I'll admit, I, I do wonder, a little conspiracy theory, I wonder. It's going to be hard to get a room. So if you haven't got a room for October 19th, that's a game you need to go to. I'm just going to tell you, you're going to want to go to that game. You're going to want to go to that game, period. And it is the number one game on the schedule. And, and, and I haven't been this excited about a regular season game in a long time. Uh, preseason. Now, when Georgia played Tennessee in a number one versus number one, yeah, I was I was pretty excited about that game. I th- and when Georgia played Ohio State in that Peach Bowl, I was pretty excited about that game. Uh, Georgia, Texas, though, preseason. I've never been to Darrell Royal Stadium for a game. I went there for basketball. In fact, Chris and I were both covering the Vols and went there for a basketball game when Rick Barnes was at Texas. Uh, but we didn't go to a football game there. So I'm really looking forward to Georgia, Texas, on October 19th. The number two game is Georgia, Alabama. That's going to be Kalen DeBoard's SEC opener for Alabama. Georgia is going to have played Kentucky earlier. Their, their SEC opener is on the road at Kentucky. I mean, Georgia's schedule next year is no joke. I mean, this year's schedule kind of started slow and then crescendoed, um, you know, with those three top 25 games in Georgia Tech in November. Next year, just, you know, this is the opposite. You got Clemson come out of the gate. I mean, Clemson's won five games. Clemson is not going to be a pushover. I mean, they've won five games in a row. Dabo is not going to be a pushover. I'm just telling you, it's not as good a Clemson as they saw in Charlotte, but Dabo Sweeney is not going to be a pushover, especially after he got disrespected um, by Alabama the way he did. And that was shameful and wrong of Alabama that they didn't give him an interview. Um, But that is going to be one fired up Dabo Sweeney. That is going to be one fired up Clemson team in Atlanta. Uh, Georgia's got to play Kentucky and, and, and Brock Vandergriff, we assume, presume, expected to be the starter. Uh, you know, Brock is a fantastic football player, a fantastic leader. He knows the Georgia offense quite well. They'll have a tremendous scouting report. And then Georgia plays Alabama uh, on the 28th after a bye week. Uh, you know, Kirby has won 20 straight games uh, when he has more than a week to prepare. Just an incredible streak just speaks to Kirby. So those are two super hot games. Um, I think the Georgia-Clemson game, you know, Clemson's going to try to make the playoff. I, I think Georgia-Tennessee could affect the playoff. I think Georgia at Old Miss, 
Um, you know, you, you get to talking about next year, just a sizzling hot schedule. But the cold take, the cold take is that somehow Georgia had an easier road uh, to the SEC championship game because they were the East. Because, again, I cite Tennessee being good two years ago. And last year, um, you know, obviously Missouri was the best team uh, in the league that wasn't Alabama or Georgia. And Ole Miss was right behind. Dogs played both of them. I want to thank everybody for joining me tonight. I, I enjoy doing the show. I look forward to the opportunity to speak at length, pick my topics. I mean, listen, I love coming on uh, with Brandon Adams on Wednesdays with Dog Nation Daily. Those spots are fun. Never really know what BA is going to ask me. Um, I enjoy doing that show. Enjoy doing, uh, uh, you know, 92-9, the game in Atlanta with, with Steak and Sandra. I uh, do that on um, Tuesdays. I always enjoyed that. Enjoy the, the spots on the ref in Athens on Monday mornings um, at uh, 8.30. Do that with Logan and Dave. And, uh, WJOX in Birmingham. Um, do that spot every Tuesday at about 11.40 on a show called Three Man Front. And, and then on, on occasion, we'll do a little fine bomb action in the SEC Network in season. It's every week on Thursdays, out of season, kind of hit and miss. Paul had me on last week. And, uh, gosh, all I did was tell people how it was. And, you know, some folks got really mad. We, of course, we have that up on our on our YouTube, our Dog Nation YouTube, if you want to see that interview. So just a lot of interviews all week long. But this show in particular is a lot of fun because I get an opportunity to kind of zero in on a lot of the messages that I want to share with you. And I get to bring a lot of guests on. And it's always special for me to share, um, you know, my friends in the business with you, people that I've known and gotten to know over the years, people that are my go-to people. You know, I, when I have a question, I, I call sources, players, coaches, parents, but I also call other media guys and get their takes. And, and, and I like to share those people with you so, so you can hear their wisdom and their insights because everybody sees it from a different angle. And tonight, Chris Lowe uh, was kind enough to join us. Really appreciated that. So I want to thank my producer, Michael Carvel. Thank you very much. Uh, don't forget tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily, 10 a.m. Wednesday night, it's Jeff Santel. Um, before the hedges. And then Thursday night, there's this cool show with Kaylee and Connor. Uh, hopefully you've gotten an opportunity to see that. And um, man, who knows what's going to happen next? I know this uh, tomorrow night, I'm going to be at that Georgia LSU game at 630 must win game for Mike White and the dogs be interested to see how much they can get the stake packed out in a 6 30 PM game. Everybody have a fantastic week. If you're looking for me on Twitter at Mike Griffith, 32, please feel free. Uh, ask questions, make comments, love the interaction, love the feedback, be safe. Have a great weekend, everybody.